trigger, nigga. How y'all feeling out there? Huh? Is that? Is that turn me up, yeah? How y'all feeling out there? Yeah. However you get it, I'm feeling good. Y'all want it. Welcome to 80 Proof. This is the next episode, episode eight. Uh, we're moving along. A lot of good things happening. Uh, this episode is a very important one because it talks about artist transformation um, and artist reconstruction. There's not many artists out there that make it, uh, you know, from the beginning, keeping the same sound, keeping the same um, creative ideas, and doing the same things for. 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, there's a few of them out there that are able to do that, but most of them are changing over time and making adjustments. And I wanted to feature three different artists that have done this in their lives and in their careers. Um, two of them that I want to kind of touch on shortly. And then the third one, I want to take some time because it's an artist that many of you probably didn't even realize still existed in the industry. And um, he is now one of the top people in the industry because I, I can't say an artist because he does so many different things now. Um, but we'll get into that shortly. First, I just want to touch on a few things. I was at the uh, Tory Lane's Chicks Tape Live show in New York City. Uh, it was fantastic. I was posting on my stories on 80 Proof Story uh, at 80 Proof with two Fs. Um, he was fantastic. I saw him two years ago, maybe three at this point, where he was uh, performing in front of 50 or 60 people in Chinatown. And he had the same energy back then and enthusiasm and just passion for being on stage and, and being a performer that he did in front of five, 6,000 people um, in New York City for this Chick Tape Live show. And it didn't matter that he had all these people rocking with him, singing all his songs. Back then he had 50, 60 people doing the same exact thing and he was just as into it. Um, he's... One of my favorite performers, I've seen him twice now, these two times. Um, even though I was a little upset that he didn't bring out more people, I totally understood. You know, he, he did L.A. the night before, and he brought out Chris Brown, Ty Dolla Sign. Uh, I don't even know who else. He, T-Pain, he brought out a ton of other people. So I figured that if it was going to be in New York, that he wasn't going to bring out as many. But I did think he was going to kind of pull like a fabulous who wasn't around, so he didn't come. I mean, he brought out Mario and he performed uh, "Let Me Love You" and uh, "Crying Out for Me," which I'm a, you know, R&B head from the start. That's you know where I kind of started with music, so that was amazing. He brought out Ja Rule, which is hysterical because Ja Rule is great, but he still gets that standing ovation and craziness, even though you know he's had pretty much just bad press over the past few years. Um, he brought out Casanova, Brooklyn native, which was cool. Um, but really nothing nothing too crazy besides that. But he, Tori, performed like he always does, and he was fantastic. So even with that, uh, it didn't really matter. Um, before we get into the segment of artist reconstruction, which is the basis of this episode, I do want to touch on, see, I see that there's all of this um, R&B talk on Twitter, that R&B is dead and... Um, you know, we need R&B to make a comeback, and where's where's that classic R&B sound? And I think it's total bullshit. A lot of people are calling it bullshit that actually understand where R&B is nowadays. Um, you know, people hear the, the trap R&B and um, that same sound that's been around for the past few years and assume that that's the only type of R&B that's been out. But those are the people that aren't listening to artists like Division, Majid Jordan, uh, BJ the Chicago Kid. There's so many uh, artists out there that are still putting out that 
interesting, diverse R&B music, whether it's classic or whether it's different and, and transitioning to a new sound. It's not that typical sound that people think is just the only R&B there. Um, BJ, the Chicago kid, I think was the one who kind of started this. He tweeted, um, he sent a few tweets a few days ago and he said, these guys on R&B now, some of us have been dropping quality music. It's the wave now, but everybody wants in on R&B. I had crowds at my show screaming R&B ain't dead and posting it to my IG for years. So to us, R&B never left, just gave space for ones to show their true colors. So many people ran from the sound and even the title of their music being R&B, we remained here. And that is a great point. It's saying that there are artists out there that are staying true to their sound and putting out that that R&B that is real for the real fans. It's just with music nowadays, everything's who's getting viral, who's posting music that people can dance to or or fucking bop to and all this shit. It's it's there's no room for BJ the Chicago kid to to blow up and be a a, a huge artist that's, you know, mainstream, but he doesn't want that and and the real R&B artists understand that. And I do see in the next few years and I think it's already starting that 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 classic R&B sound is actually going to grow and become much bigger. I think it's going to take some time. I think we're at this fad still and, and trend where this type of like shitty bop music is still, you know, making its rounds. I think that will dry up eventually. I think all these young kids on TikTok and and all these uh, apps that are doing these dance moves and all of that shit, I think as they get older, I think it's going to fade just like, you know, the time before us when we were younger and, and that classic you know, singing in the rain R&B was, you know, the big thing. And now it's kind of faded out because us, our age are kind of, we're pushing away, like moving away from that besides the real R&B fans. Um, but I do see it making a comeback. I agree with BJ, the Chicago kid that it's been here. It's just hasn't been here for people that don't listen passionately to R&B. So, um, that's my take on the whole R&B situation. If you want to have an R&B argument, Tag me on uh, Instagram or Twitter. I'm happy to go after it because, like I said, R&B was where I started. Fuck most people for the root of all evil. It don't matter. Blood splatters over matters all fecal. Chit chatter. Say the nigga bitch. Bad another nigga gets added than his body parts scattered. Young nigga did it for some unfitting. Took a soul off earth. Put the body back in it. Pistol pack in it. Okay, let's get into our artist reconstruction. Uh, segment here. This is the basis of this whole uh, this whole episode. And what I wanted to see, uh, I wanted to choose was three artists that started out one way and then transitioned over time where they saw that their career was at a standstill or wasn't progressing as much as, much as it should have. And that's something that artists nowadays have a big issue with where if an artist sees that little tiny bit of success, that little tiny bit of limelight, and this is really pointing out to younger artists because there's so many artists nowadays that can just post music all the time. Um, you know, so many people podcasting that can post all the time. I mean, I started getting into it and I'm able to get everything, Spotify, Apple Music, all of this. And I see so many other people doing the same. With artists, it's 10 times, a thousand times more than that. When you see that little bit of success as an artist, it's so hard to say, you know what, I need to move into something else to continue or grow my career. When you see that little bit of success, a lot of artists feel the need to keep that same energy. So whether it's like keeping the same sound of music because you don't want to move into something different if you've just seen a little bit of success or 
you get a label deal and the label deal is not right, but because you're in a label deal and you want to go around saying you're you know signed to a major or signed to a label, you keep that deal even though it's holding you back in your career. So there are three artists here that I want to talk about. Two of them I'm going to talk about a little bit less uh, with a little bit less time, and the third one I really want to get into because he's probably one of the smartest uh, people, artists, producers, anything in the industry uh, right now. So first I want to get into it with 2 Chains. Everybody knows 2 Chains. He's kind of uh, been huge for the past, I'd say, seven, eight years where he's been, uh, you know, since his debut album under the moniker 2 Chains. But for those of you who don't know, which many people do, but if you don't, he was initially one half of Player's Circle. And I know you know Player's Circle because they released um, Duffel Bag Boy with, with uh, Lil Wayne. It was a classic song. Um, I actually, when I was younger, and then I heard about 2 Chains at first, I didn't even realize that that was him. Um, but it was. He started as Titty Boy of Player's Circle um, in 1997. The, the duo signed to Disturbing the Peace, which I think I'm going to have to have a whole se- a whole uh, episode on Ludacris's Disturbing the Peace. It's one of the most interesting uh, label stories where there's a lot of back and forth of like how artists feel they were treated under that label and kind of where it went, but we'll save that for another time. They met Ludacris when they... Uh, when both of them from Player Circle, uh, Ludacris moved into their College Park uh, Atlanta complex. And as Luda blew up um, over those years, he kind of, you know, fell. He, he started DTP under Def Jam and he, you know, heard these two guys of Player Circle um, and he, he picked them up in the beginning. So he kind of had that success early. They released Duffel Bag Boy with Lil Wayne. They performed at the BET Awards. They kind of had that success, right? So he had that. That, and 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 just so you know, that was ten years after Play a Circle started. So Play a Circle started in 1997. Duffel Bag Boy was released in 2007. That should tell you as an artist, if you don't see success in two years or three years or five years or seven years, if you feel you have that talent and you you know you wouldn't be in it if you didn't, you have to keep pushing because things will happen. I mean, who would have thought Ludacris would move into Two Chains Complex in College Park, and that's how he kind of got his start. But anyway, he had that success. They released Duffel Bag Boy. Everything was kind of going well. And then he hit a standstill in his career. Um, Play a Circle kind of, they released a few projects. Nothing really hit that big or crazy after Duffel Bag Boy. And he was still in that label deal. Um, he still owed, I think, I, I think they owed an album or two in that deal. But he, you know, spoke with Ludacris and he left the label because just the deal wasn't working for him at that time. Uh, he mentioned in a Fuse uh, interview uh, back, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago that he said, I wasn't going anywhere. Um, it had a glass ceiling, speaking about DTP. So I wanted to start over from the ground up. And uh, he had to give something to Ludacris to, in, uh, to leave the business. And that's... Um, you know, he said him and Ludacris never had any issues. They were, you know, close, good friends. But, you know, when it comes to business, it's business. And that's what a lot of artists have to understand. So, you know, he, you know, whatever, he said he had to give something, which means he probably had to pay off, um, you know, an album or two to get off that deal. Um, but that's a huge risk. And he not only left a label deal, he left a label deal and had to pay to get out of it to then start over as an independent, but he knew that he was at a standstill under this uh, 
you know, play a circle and disturbing the peace, even though it was technically a Def Jam label um, and he had a Def Jam deal, he saw that standstill. He realized he had to do something different. So um, he did. He, he left and he started to prepare to release singles and, and projects under Titty Boy. And for those of you who don't know, Titty Boy, a lot of people were mad at him saying that this was like a, a shot at like women and that it, you know, it's just a very like non-substantial name. But really when he came out and he discussed it, he said that um, Titty Boy actually comes from the fact that his mother was the one who was there for him his whole life. So, you know, he felt like his mom was the only one there who raised him. So you can understand where that came from. Still, he even mentions that, you know, he it wasn't very family friendly and he knew he had to make that change and change to a different artist uh, moniker or name in order to be successful. So he left his label. Even though he had success, he performed at the BET Awards, he had things moving, he left his label, he changed his name, and he started to, you know, prepare to start an uh, almost an entirely new career. Now, he still had the connections at the labels. He still, you know, was an artist who came up with Ludacris and had a song with Lil Wayne, um, all of this. But he, he knew he had to make all of these changes and kind of start over to to really hit that level of success. And as you all know, you it happened. Um, in 2012, again, this is 15 years after he started in the industry. So again, artists, take your time, figure out what you need to do to be successful. And it's not always going to be your first chance, or your second chance. It's it's something you have to work with. So in 2012, he came, he started under two chains because it was more family friendly. Um, and he signed with Def Jam on a separate label under the actual Def Jam moniker uh, label. And started to prepare coming uh, his release with uh, the song No Lie, which came out in May of 2012. Again, that's 15 years before he blew up as a solo rapper. Um, another thing to, to go back on is the artist name. A lot of you young artists out there don't really understand that, yeah, you can have a funny name or a stupid name or whatever. But if you don't have a, like, I don't want to say like... 2 Chain says a family-friendly name, but if you don't have a name that people can, you know, 15-year-old kids can talk about because you got to understand with rap and hip-hop changing so much and being the biggest genre of music, you're having a, a larger audience listening to this music. It's not just, you know, 20 to 35, 40-year-olds listening to this music anymore. You're hitting 14, 13-year-old kids listening to this music, and I'm not saying you need to have a, you know, nice, simple name, but, you know, don't make your name titty boy like two chains did don't don't make your name something stupid have a name that that little kids can say and their parents won't be like oh shit you're not ever listening to this music again Tr just uh something to think about but anyway so he came out with no lie in 2012 um since then he's released multiple billboard albums he's appeared on tv shows so he realized that uh, music was not just the only uh avenue he needed to take once he blew up he realized okay let me try and um diversify and that's another thing that a lot of artists don't do they feel um i think freddie gibbs just put out a tweet where he's like um labels labels will have you doing everything labels will be having artists do everything but rap and as much as i agree that a lot of labels try and get these artists to hit everything besides actually putting out good music um it's it's not wrong i mean if you're a label and you have a 360 deal which means you own the rights to everything that that artist does you have you have income coming in from everything that an artist does 
all of these other things, whether it's touring, whether it's merchandise, whether it's production, whatever, all of this are much better money makers than music streaming specifically. So I, I really kind of disagree with Freddie Gibbs on that. Like I know he's just a legitimate, you know, classic rapper, but you know, if you're if you're a business, you're trying to make money on everything you can, regardless if it's a label or any type of business. So I don't hate that. And Two Chains realized that that's what I needed to do. So instead of just putting out music, he you know was on Law and Order. He appeared on Two Broke Girls, which are two you know huge mainstream shows, and he has his own show on Viceland called Most Expensivest. Um, I think it got renewed for another thirty episodes or whatnot, but um, definitely an interesting show. He's a minority owner in an NBA G League affiliate, the College Park Skyhawks, obviously because of his hometown. Um, he started those dabbing sweater, uh, the hoodies, the dabbing hoodies, and that made him like a. I think I remember hearing an article that made him over like a million dollars over a span of like two weeks when those were selling like crazy in 2016. Um, just again, he, he realized that I'm not just going to sit with the music. He made changes early in his career to, to leave his, uh, group, leave his label, his label deal, um, change his name and make himself uncomfortable to change, but look where it, be- it got him now. I'm telling you right now, if he was still titty boy of play a circle, he would not be the artist or, um, person that he is today. Uh, one of the things I do want to touch on is Pretty Girls Like Trap Music, which was his uh, most recent album. And again, another episode I want to get into in, is creative release strategies. But that one is probably one of the most interesting and creative of over the past 10 years, especially if you uh, concentrate it to just hip-hop and R&B, where he had the, uh, the the purple trap or the pink trap house, where he uh, had... Um, donations and charity events going on around them and he had people coming up and um, literally had a pink trap house in Atlanta where he painted it and, and you know instead of it making it an actual trap house he had that you know had it come off as a trap house but really they were doing a lot of good for the community and meanwhile promoting his album it was such a interesting release strategy I definitely want to get into that as um in another episode where we could do some more research and show the, the, the different strategies that I'm sure him and the label both kind of worked with together. Um, also in 2015, he started his own label, the uh, true label underneath Warner music group. So um, just, again, it's just a, a great story of somebody who realized that things were not, even though he had all these opportunities, he was signed to a label. He had that idea of being comfortable and he said nope I don't want to be comfortable I want to take chances start over and do it the right way and look where it got him compared to where it would have been if he would have stayed as who he was before in that group under disturbing the peace because you know disturbing the peace had major issues and a lot of those artists didn't make it um you know he he figured it out and he made it entourage large everybody came with you you responsible for everybody that came with you shit you lose it all and few gonna remain with you hey get that money but don't let that money get you hey get that money but don't let that money get you how about that all and that wall money is sick too true fuck rap that's money I need. the next artist i want i want to touch on i want to touch on very quickly um is lil nas x not you know, not because he's a hip hop artist or whatever. Like he is an R and B, hip hop, rock, alternative artist. Um, you know, regardless of how you feel about his music, you have to respect what he's done um, as an artist, as a person that 
I'm sure 95% of people, and especially people that are actually um, invested in in hip hop and R and B and 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 music, would have assumed he was going going to be a one hit wonder that would have fizzled out and um, would have just you know people would have forgotten his name by now. But one of the things that he realized, and I'm sure he had help from his team, from the label that signed him right off the bat, is he had to figure out how to be different and how to stand out. And he is the only artist that is using, and I'm telling you right now, the only artist in hip-hop and R&B that is using social media the right way. He had, oh, he was a one-hit wonder. He knew it. We all knew it. And he's actually put out some you know, solid music since. Like I said, whatever you want to feel about him not being true to hip hop and R and B, whatever. He's he's not. He's a, he's an all around artist, and he's put out a ton of different music. And don't get me wrong, he's had a lot of features and a lot of money backing him. But he's he's made it work. Not a lot of artists can say that. But what he also realized was, I can use that to my advantage when it comes to social media. If you follow him on Twitter, he knows he makes a joke of himself, and he puts out funny content and. He gets things that go viral and videos and pictures. He figured out, and I'm sure, like I said, he had some backing with his label, that I'm not just going to be posting pictures and, and, and shit of, of me in different photo shoots. He's going to make creative, interesting content that people are going to laugh at, that people are going to be interested in. I follow him. I don't listen to his music anymore, but I follow him on Twitter and I'm liking and retweeting his shit all the time because it's funny. It's interesting. And like I said, he's the only artist doing it. So if you ever need a, if you're an artist that ever needs a little quick lesson on social media, go follow him. Like I said, and I've said this before, social media is the most important thing. I said it in the past episode, paid social media and just regular organic social media are so big nowadays and if you're an artist that just considers social media and like Instagram art where you're putting up these, you know, photo shoots and things that aren't just creative and interesting and that aren't going to get people to stop on their timelines and check something out, there's no point. He realized that he needed to be interesting. Now, again, you don't need to go to his extent where everything's kind of a joke. If you do want to be an artist that kind of has that creative artistic side, you could absolutely do it. And there are artists that just do that creative side. And when you look at Childish Gambino or Frank Ocean, Childish Gambino is a little different because even his creative shit is something you want to stop and look at. But Frank Ocean doesn't do anything crazy. And people listen to his music and they're diehards. But again, that's one in a million compared to an artist that Lil Nas X that you didn't think was going to make it. And he made it and understood that I need social media to, to help continue my career and it and it's work. If the game shakes me or breaks me, I hope it makes me a better man. You know the rest. Yeah. Okay, so the third artist. And this one this artist is most important because his career change and the way he's moved about has been so un- unbelievable and I think he is on the verge of becoming one of the biggest um, people in the industry. He already is, but I think down you know the line, you compare him to like an L.A. Reid or someone like that where you do believe he's going to be one of these, one of the most important people in the music industry. Um, now I'm going to say his name, his artist name, and you're going to say what the fuck are you talking about? And then I'll talk to you about who he's become. Uh, Young Berg, <laughs> back in the day, in 2003, he 
actually before 2003, in 2001, he signed to DMX's Bloodline Records. Now, he was with them. I think he put out like one song on a soundtrack under that label, and his parents shipped him off to military school. He left out on the label deal, but he attributes a lot of his success nowadays to that because he said he had no TV, no radio, no nothing. So he was in military school writing lyrics and songs, helping with his lyricism every day. Um, He returned in 2003, worked as a studio assistant for actually, funny enough, disturbing the peace. And um, he was working as a studio assistant for Shauna. He met Shauna, who was one of the artists under DTP. But he wanted to be behind behind the scenes. He didn't want to be an artist in the main stage. He wanted to be someone that's going to work behind the uh, behind the scenes. But then he had a lot of label recognition, um, and he ended up signing with Epic Records. Uh, he put out a ton of singles. He put out obviously "Sexy Can I" is the big one that everybody remembers. It hit number two on the rap charts. Um, and he put out a debut album, um, Look What You Made Me. He had a lot of features on it, and, you know, it was really, I st- I listened to a song or two on it every every now and then. He has a song with Trey Songs on it that was, you know, really good in terms of production quality, and if you listen to that, you'll see uh, why I kind of, I, I, I saw him going down the production route, and we'll get there. Um, a lot of people do not know how much he's attributed to production and songwriting. And this is where um, everything changed for him. He started behind the scenes. He released one label album as an artist, Youngberg, and then he wanted to go back behind the scenes. In 2009, he co-wrote and co-produced multiple tracks on Nicki Minaj's Pink Print album. Um, That was the start. He was still operating under his name, Youngberg, and I think his, uh, his government name, but then a few years later, he started the, he went under the moniker Hitmaker. And you'll hear that on every single song nowadays. Um, it's his, produ- his, his produ- producer name. And he has since been one of the biggest and most influential producers in the industry. Um, I'm going to read off some of his production credits in the pa- over the past 10 years and his uh, writing credits, and you're going to be very surprised. Um, this is over a 10-year span after he released his debut album under his initial moniker and then under Hitmaker. He has production credits with Lil Wayne, Yo Gotti, Kid Ink, Big Sean, which Big Sean was... Bounce Back, which is five times platinum. He uh, wrote and produced that song. Seven Streeter, Chrisette Michelle, Gucci Mane, Wiz Khalifa, Chris Brown, Ty Dolla Sign, Meek Mill, Tanache, A Boogie, G Easy, PMB Rock, Fabulous, Fat Joe, E40. That's that's just some of them. Um, he's co he's co-written for Fabulous, for Cassie, Big Sean, Ty Dolla Sign, Chris Brown, Kid Ink. There's so many more that I could say, but I wanted to just keep it at that. He's been Every song, every big hip-hop and R&B song that's come out over the past 10 years, I'd say 20% of them are, he's attributed in some way. Um, He has been the biggest and most influential songwriter uh, songwriter and producer over the past 10 years, and nobody even realizes that that's Youngberg from Sexy Can I. Um, He did a interview with... um, 107.9 107.9 at hot hot 107.9 Atlanta and he had a line that every single artist 
should take into consideration. Now, there are so many artists out there that are going to be successful, that are talented, but there are also a ton of artists that are extremely talented in songwriting and producing that maybe not, may not be able to be that uh, that as good as a specific front and center artist. And if you're not that great at production and songwriting, this is why you should diversify and learn to songwrite. Songwriting is not just being able to write music. You need to learn, do research, understand melodies and everything to be able to be an influential and and an amazing songwriter and producer as well. But he had a line in this interview which I want you to, if you're an artist, to put on your wall. Um, with Hot 107.9 Atlanta, he had the interview and it's and and he said, "I knew I had the best product, but that people didn't want to hear that product from me." I'm going to say that again. This was back in the day after he was Youngberg. He put out you know, his debut album, he knew that he had the best product, but people didn't want to hear that product from him. That is to be able to understand that you are that talented of an artist and as a creative as a whole and understand and face the fact that people do not want to hear that from him. It's, it's something that skyrocketed his, his career because if he was still Youngberg, it's the same thing. He would, would not have the success that he's had, but he knew that he had the best product, but that if he was able to use that product to help create songs for Chris Brown, to help create songs for Big Sean, to help produce songs for Nicki Minaj, that those artists will grow and those artists would become better because of the product that he has, but that also people would take in that product so much more. And that's led him to produce every single track for every single artist. Any big artist that's in the industry right now in the past 10 years of hip-hop and R&B, if you name them, I promise you that 80% of the time, they have at least one song that Young Berg, a.k.a. Hitmaker, was a part of. Um, so much so that in 2017, he was named the vice president of A&R at Atlantic Records. He has a total of 28 million digital sales and 5 billion streams under Hitmaker. And that's not including the earlier production credits from the six years before that include Nicki Minaj's Pink Print um, and other huge uh, albums and singles as well. But he became a vice president of A&R Atlantic Records. He's one of the top producers in the industry. He had a successful debut album as an artist and hit the Billboard charts with Sexy Can I and some other singles um, and his album hit the rap charts on Billboard as well. He is someone where any artist, any creative in the industry should learn from, should should understand that this is someone who knew that change had to be made. You cannot get comfortable just because you have a label deal. You cannot get comfortable because one Spotify single hit 500,000 streams or a million streams. Every time something good happens, you have to figure out how I can move and change and adjust and continue to stay successful. There's so many artists out there. There's so much music being released on a weekly basis. You're not going to be the, uh, the artist that releases a single on a Friday that nobody else released on. Every Friday, there's going to be music that gets released. Every Tuesday is going to be music that gets released from big artists. You have to stand out in it from a crowd. And again, if you see yourself in a stall or see yourself not moving forward, make a change. It has to be the case nowadays because artists like these and so many others made changes and are at places that you never thought they would be. Hitmaker, he says the same thing. 
he was in an interview and he said, I want to be bigger than L.A. Lee, LA Reed. I want to be bigger than P. Diddy. I want to be the biggest, most influential person in the industry. And he is. I mean, go check out that interview on YouTube with Hot 107.9. He lists off all the songs he's done over the past few years. He talks about um, being a vice president of A&R and how, you know, where he sees his career going. And just to say that line again, because it's going to be the topic and quote of this uh, episode. It's, I knew I had the best product, but that people didn't want to hear that product from me. It is something that takes a lot of artists have too big of an ego. Even artists that haven't done a, a one, one thousandth of a percentage of what Young Berg Hitmaker did in his career. Um, people would have too big of an ego to, to ever be able to say that. And he did that and not only changed, he became so much better of a creative and and so much more influential than he ever could have as an artist. So my advice is to you artists, figure out what, what skills you have, diversify your, crea- your creativity, whether it's learning how to produce better, learning how to co-write. Again, that saves you money on the back end as well, saves you royalties, saves you uh, flat fees up front. It helps you in terms of being able to release music and not having to worry about clearances because you own everything. And then at the same time, you are diversifying yourself so that you can then become an asset to other artists as well. And, you know, maybe you won't become like Hitmaker, but you'll definitely be more successful and give yourself more opportunity to be successful if you're hitting all of these pathways. Um, follow Hitmaker. Check it anytime you hear his music. Just do a little background. See what else he's done. Um, listen to his interviews because he's a very smart and talented uh, individual. And again, don't be hesitant to make a change in your career. Thanks, everyone. We will talk soon. Follow me on social media. Um, The next episode is going to come out next week, and it's going to be an entire ode to R&B music, similar to what I spoke about in the beginning. Um, Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk soon. Like he play pro ball to make the same figures And even though they say they bout to bring him down See he always be around the same niggas Just so other niggas say you never change nigga Accountants warns you still it remain the issue